you are not alone. You are not the first person that has been in this situation, and you for sure won't be the last. And people who are at the top of their game lose their biggest client, and people who are just getting started lose their biggest client, and people in between lose their biggest client. Because fundamentally, it's not about them. It's about market shifts. So stand tall, take care of yourself, and go get your next client. This is your time. How can we earn twice as much in half the time with joy and ease while serving the highest good? That is our guiding question here at the Free Time Cafe, your home for heart-based business. I'm your host, Jenny Blake. Join me for conversations with authors, friends, and fellow business owners as we explore ways to free your mind, time, and team to do your best work. Now, on to today's show. Welcome back, free timers. I'm so happy to bring you this two-part episode today. If you've been reading Rolling in Dough, you know that the origin story for that now not so secret paid Substack was losing my biggest, most beloved corporate client in the summer of 2023. This shook me up so much. Not only was it one of my longest running favorite licensing clients, it also represented at least six figures of income for the next six months being instantly wiped off the table. Instantly is relative because I kind of saw it coming. 2023 started with the fastest bank run in history with Silicon Valley Bank collapsing. And everybody grew very skittish, especially the tech clients that I tend to work with. Not only was my speaking business severely impacted during the pandemic, that was my steadiest source of income. But because of all these tech layoffs, I just knew that as the CEOs of these companies declared it the year of austerity and efficiency, the writing was on the wall, or rather the contract signing was off the table. I didn't know what to do. I had so much anxiety the first six months that when I got the news that they wouldn't be renewing the contract, it was kind of the final straw. There was nothing else to do. So I just started writing and I haven't stopped. I wanted to talk about the scarier parts of running a small business, and I've been publishing twice a week for almost eight months now. In one of the earliest essays called This is a Wonderful Day, I'll put the link in the show notes, I start by saying that right after I got the news, which I now say with a capital T, capital N, the news, I searched on Spotify for what to do when you lose your biggest client. Spotify is a great search engine, not just for guests that you might want to listen to, but I find it's the best search engine for finding podcast episodes. And on this query, what to do when you lose your biggest client, it came up empty. There wasn't a single podcast episode on the topic. Of course not. Who wants to admit out loud and in their archives that they've just lost their biggest client? In the past, I probably wouldn't have fessed up to this either, except for the fact that now it was what I wish desperately that I could see, read, and hear. At the time, and still to this day, I long for something real about the roller coaster of these moments, something that runs counter to the impulse to double down on old strategies out of panic. And I find that so much of entrepreneurial content is about the big shiny wins, how much money everybody's making, how much time they're saving, which of course I'm guilty of too in moments. But when things truly go haywire, there's an impulse to sweep it under the rug because... Well, of course, we don't want to send the wrong signal to future clients and then become a self-fulfilling prophecy where we're talking about everything that's going wrong and how hard things are that it becomes anti-mimetic repulsion for people who are watching and listening, thinking, oh, 
she's not doing well. I'm not going to hire her for my next project, whatever it is. So whether it's coaching or speaking or licensing, I think many of us entrepreneurs have a valid survival instinct not to talk too much about the bad stuff so that we just project a positive, hopeful, optimistic, successful image. But after I lost that big favorite client, I stopped caring. I just didn't have it in me to pretend anymore. The pandemic years have been so tricky on my business. And as proud as I am of creating free time and doubling down on creating this book and podcast for delightfully tiny heart-based small business owners, I just couldn't help but wonder, well, what advice would I give my past self or a future friend of somebody going through an experience like this one? When I got the X, as my writing coach calls it, I remember a well-meaning friend said, okay, well, where can you find new clients just like your old ones? I didn't even have it in me to do that. I remember saying that if this were the dating world, I would take the hint. I would stop chasing the wrong men. I wrote about this in a post on Substack called An Honest Accounting, where no matter how hard I tried to land a third corporate licensing client in eight years of building out my licensing programs for the Pivot IP, I couldn't. It felt like I was chasing and chasing and so many contracts fell apart during the pandemic. At the start of the pandemic, I was just exhausted. So, of course, my inner business police are saying, well, a good or responsible business owner would just get straight back to work finding new corporate clients. But that just didn't feel like it was in alignment anymore. And you know, the free time framework, align, design, assign, that sometimes we need to realign or even eliminate altogether parts of the business that just aren't going to work moving forward. So I reached out to some friends and former podcast guests, and I'm so excited to bring you this two-part episode on what to do when you lose your biggest client. This is not so much advice, and that was my guidelines to those who submitted audio. It's less about giving advice, and it's more about just relating, sharing their experiences, losing a big gorilla client, as Kelly Thompson puts it and what they did to bounce back. If you want to check out the names or websites or services of people who submitted for this two-part series, I'll put all of that in the show notes as always. I hope this episode brings you some comfort. Maybe you don't need it right now, but maybe something's going to happen six months in the future, even if we hope not, and you'll remember that you can come back and listen on a proverbial rainy day. Without further ado, here's part one of what to do when you lose your biggest client. I'm Kelly Thompson. I'm a women's leadership coach. I'm a speaker and I'm the author of Closing the Confidence Gap, Boost Your Peace, Your Potential, and Your Paycheck. And I had a gorilla client. In fact, this gorilla client, a client that provided a lot of my revenue, I'm thankful for because they were the reason why I could leave corporate America. I'm a corporate veteran and I decided to go off on my own in 2019 and I kind of jumped in cold turkey. But one of the ways that it was easier to do so was I started with this corporate client and this corporate client hired me to coach many of their senior leaders. So while it in no way replaced my corporate income, it still was enough of a steady paycheck that I could at least pay my minimum bills, my minimum viable income. And while it felt good at the time because I was off on my own trying to figure things out, One of the things that I look back on now was I realized that with this one single client, 
how easy it was for me to coast a little bit. I didn't have that new entrepreneur, totally hungry, I have no money income of having to constantly sell and promote myself because, you know, I had this client that was just giving me just enough. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, not only did I lose this client because they were tightening their belts and so they did not renew my contract to coach their leaders, I had also lost any speaking contracts that I had at the time. And so in a period of four weeks, like many folks, I lost 80 to 90% of my revenue overnight. And it was awful. And it was awful because in that moment, I just felt so ashamed that I had just allowed myself to ride on that client and I hadn't worked harder at building up some of the areas of my business. But it was really hard too, because transparently, my husband and I were going through IVF. We were having tons of miscarriages. And also during that period, I think we had to put our dog down. It was terrible. and. I just remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. And I remember going and applying for PPP money. I applied for unemployment just to get through that period. But it also really kind of lodged me into one of the most creative periods of my life because I had this thought that said, well, if I'm not going to make any money, if I can't lose any more money, like what is it that I really want to do? And I thought back to all my corporate years growing up in training and human resources, working in banking and finance tech, knowing what it's like to be one of the only women. I loved coaching other women who came to me when I was in HR, who wanted to talk about negotiating their salary or applying for a job or getting the confidence to ask their boss for a raise or go for a project or promotion. I could do that all day. And I thought, well, I'm not making any money now, so I might as well go and see if that's something that I could try because I was just doing generic leadership coaching. But during that period, I thought, well, what would happen if I niched down and only talk to women. I thought, gosh, would I lose my very last corporate client that I do have? But something really interesting happened. All I did was I just started tweaking my LinkedIn posts and started talking directly to women. And all of a sudden things just started to click. The wheels started to turn. I started to get more inquiries. And you know what? My last corporate client didn't fire me. They said, oh, great. Can you come speak at our women's employee group? And I was like, that sounds amazing. And that's when my business mission arose for me, which is to help women advance to the rooms where decisions are made. And it's not like everything replaced itself in one year. Now I'm in year five and it's definitely been a slow and steady growth, which is something I really appreciate. Another key lesson I really learned was the importance of diversifying your income. I grew up in banking and finance. And so I knew a lot about how important it is to diversify your portfolios for retirement. So you don't have everything in one stock and then something happens. It's no different with my business income. And that was a really hard lesson that I learned. And as I was rebuilding my business, I made it a really key focus that I was offering products and services that were diverse. So that way, let's say if one-on-one coaching took a dip, well, I can ramp up my speaking business. If speaking takes a dip, well, then I'm going to ramp up my public workshop offerings. And so I wanted to have many buttons to push and levers to pull of things that were all related, all aligned to my mission. Yet I could diversify my revenue in a way that I wouldn't have a liability on my books with a gorilla client. True story, about two years after this gorilla client canceled their contract, they actually came back to me to have me group coach many folks in their organization. And the rate that they then hired me at was double the rate that I was charging them in the beginning. So that was wonderful because I kept in contact with them. You just never know what might happen. But the other thing that I do now with my CPA is we actually have a line item for this client on my monthly reports. And we have a target set that if this income from this client gets any more than a certain amount of my total revenue, which is 25%, if they get higher than 25% of my revenue, 
we need to start talking about plans to amp up other areas of my business or just to get creative about how we're going to approach that. Because while this client is a blessing and I love them, they can also be a liability. And having learned my lesson once, it's really important for me to diversify the income of my business so that should that client decide to move on and do something different, it doesn't totally level my business again. So if there's one last permission slip that I could give for you to do something different or to drop altogether, I think it would be the permission to really diversify your business income and give yourself permission that you can do a lot of things that align with your mission, but offer it in many different ways that feel good for you. And you can still do it while having a sane schedule and tons of boundaries. And I think that that's all part of the creative challenges. How do you have many different offerings in a way that feels energetically good for you? And you absolutely have permission to do that. We'll be right back just after this. My name is Christopher Carter. Everyone calls me KC. I am the founder of Epic Leadership. I'm also kind of the head coach and facilitator on our team. A couple years ago, shortly after my first book came out, Permission to Glow, a client hired me, a big corporate client. This client just has a great reputation in their space for being very dynamic. They went public as a company maybe eight years into their journey. So they were just kind of this juggernaut of success. So it meant a lot to me to be working with them. And on Employee Appreciation Day, they bought every employee at the company a copy of my book. And that kicked off a full year program of activating these four permissions in my book, like one permission per quarter, all staff invited. It was kind of a high profile thing. And it was certainly a gig that gave me a lot of confidence in my framework and made me feel really valued as an author and as a teacher. So there was a lot at stake financially because of it, but also I think in my own identity as a teacher and coach and stuff, I put a lot of stock into it. So we delivered the first series of workshops. The feedback was great. It was inside of their metaverse, which was another cool layer to it. It was just a very fun project. And then after they paid the first invoice, we were planning the second series of workshops. They abruptly pulled the plug, just citing the obligatory organizational changes, budgets, tightening the purse strings, all that stuff. And it was a very confusing, painful thing to be alerted to. Like I got the information over email. It wasn't even a phone call. It was my client went from being a very good friend, a former colleague, to now just very coldly, abruptly pulling the plug on our project together. And so that in itself was just a kind of a gut punch. <laughs> so I had to just take some time to even think about how I should even respond and what to do with this information. A lot of my team resources were dedicated to the project. So I had to alert people internally first and hopefully do it with more compassion than the client was able to. So I felt terrible in the moment when this guy fell. And what I think I started doing to bounce back was to use some of my coaching tools, was to just get curious and realize that as personal as it felt, it wasn't about me. And I had to respond to the client more thoughtfully. I had to separate the hurt from how they communicated it to staying curious and maintain the relationship because I don't know the full story of what was involved. So I talked to some of the other stakeholders on the client side. I got the reassurance that it was not us, it was them. 
And then I had to start working on picking up the pieces from a business standpoint. What do I do with this huge hole in our revenue? From curiosity, what possibilities does this open up when we give ourselves this time back that we were dedicating to the project and the client? I didn't want it to be the end of the road with that client. And it turns out so far it has been. We haven't done additional work with them. But if I could give some advice to fellow business owners in terms of like, what do you do after you lose your biggest client? Give yourself some self-compassion and just open yourself to the idea that it was nothing you did or could have done differently to avoid that outcome. I think it's really important to underline that because we want to take full responsibility for everything and assume that we had to fight really hard to get the client and now we have to fight really hard to keep it. And should we lose it, that it's always our fault. So I would just start with, in my experience, it's all about self-compassion out of the gate. We can't control all these outcomes. If I could give you any type of permission slip to do something differently or drop something altogether, it's probably that default thing we do with telling ourselves like, oh, this is all my fault. I screwed something up or what I did wasn't valuable enough or didn't drive their business enough. We could always do better with measuring ROI on our programs and that sort of thing and merchandising that value back to the client. We could always, I think, do better with that. However, we don't want to go too far with that and assume that we are damaged goods, that our work sucks or anything like that. So drop the self-judgment, give yourself more self-compassion, and just get back to work with creating the next even better client. And I would also add, remember that if you created that level of value and that level of contract, you could do that not only again, but you could scale it and repeat it and do it bigger and better than you have before. So use it as a learning experience and it's not going to be on your tombstone someday. <laughs> All right, thanks. I'm Pamela Slim and I have a coaching and consulting business. And for purpose of this story, my husband, Daryl, at the time, had a heavy equipment construction business. It was 2008, maybe late 2007, and we had a teeny tiny baby at home, our daughter, Angela. I was writing my first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, and it was a heady time in the world of Phoenix real estate, which is what my husband worked in. He did all the earthwork for large housing developments, roads, highways, canals, etc. So having a teeny tiny baby, we didn't get much sleep. We were in a stage of growth in his business and had just purchased a gigantic piece of equipment, which was exceptionally expensive. And he was running some really large projects, which for those of you who know construction businesses know that you have to have a weekly payroll that is paid every week. I wish I could remember the exact week, maybe I've blocked it out, but it felt like from one day to the next, the entire market dropped. Everything fell out and pretty much every single one of his projects were canceled. And so I was nursing a teeny tiny baby, exhausted, <laughs> writing a book about starting a business, and trying desperately to hold on and stay grounded as a coach who at the time was encouraging people to quit their jobs and the stability of a consistent paycheck to start a business where what we were experiencing ourselves was basically life burning down around us. 
To say it was stressful is a massive understatement. And it was so terrifying. I kid you not, I think I woke up every night about 3 a.m. for probably three years straight with panic in my heart. And I am so thankful to Buddhist teachers and that faith for the loving kindness meditation, because that is the only thing that got me through at that time. May you be happy. May you be well. May you be free from suffering. May you be safe. I would say that to myself. I would say that to my circle of immediate family members, send it out to everyone in the community, and then send it out to the bigger world. That was the thing that would just calm down my beating heart and would help me get back to some fitful sleep. The other thing that really helped at that time is my dad, who was a longtime writer and photographer, really my greatest champion, my creative inspiration. When I was tearfully sharing with him what was happening, feeling like a fraud for writing a book about quitting your job to start a business while we were experiencing such stressful time, he said, you know what? You are going to write a better book because of this situation. And so it just was enough of a glimmer to make me realize that I was not going to include any hyperbole, jump and the net will appear, it'll all work out. If anything, I wanted to sort of scare the daylights out of people who had a incomplete or too idealistic view of what it meant to own your business. So while it wasn't my business at the time, I wanted to share this example because anybody who is in a two-partner entrepreneur experience knows that when one partner's business begins to go through an unexpected calamity, like happened to my husband, it 100% impacts every other part of the business. And I think for me, to just stay grounded in the truth of how much I was committed to figuring out how to make it through, which was just daily practices, <laughs> staying strong, thank God for my amazing clients, thank God for my commitment to writing and my blog at that time. My blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation, was something that brought me great joy, and it also brought me consistent clients. And so even though it was so scary what was happening in my husband's business, it kept me really focused on what I could do to be supporting others to grow and just gave me that very real visceral experience of how scary it is to lose your work, to lose your clients and to experience economic calamity. It's probably tied to the strongest value that I have that drives everything about the work that I have done for many years, which is I never want anybody to experience the panic that comes from financial calamity, whether you're laid off from your job or you lose your biggest clients or anything like that. So the best advice to me is don't panic by yourself. Talk about it with people, loved ones. If you happen to have an amazing parent like I had in my dad, my mom's wonderful too. She was always very supportive of just helping me stay focused on the kiddos and appreciating what was going on with them. But really surround yourself with people who will commiserate for a short period of time and then help you find ways around the opportunity and the truth of how you can be helpful 
in that given situation. It's why I'm a huge proponent in today's work of tiny marketing actions of always in a slow, consistent way, like a daily walk, nurturing connections that you have because we need to have community and connections before we actually need people. And it makes our daily life better, but it also gives us more opportunity if financial calamity appears. So what I give you permission to do differently is to give up the idea that you are in control of the success of your business. Heresy? Yeah. Do you have a super important role in your business? A hundred percent. So much of the decisions that you make are going to be driving financial success and stability. And there are things that are massively outside of your control. Every day as a business coach, I see people beating themselves up for things that are literally systemic issues. And so when you release that idea that you are the sole person responsible for your success, then you can be more curious about how to step in and fix things that aren't working. Because I guarantee you, nobody has it all figured out. And as soon as we get cocky and think it can happen to me, it does. So stay humble, stay connected and know that it always gets better. We'll be right back just after this. Hello, everyone. This is Charlie from Productive Flourishing, and I'm so delighted that Jenny asked me to join in on this project. It's something that I've seen a lot of people go through and that I've helped some of my clients through. A lot of times when you lose your big main only client, there's this immediate sense of, for many people that, you know, the world's over. It's, I lost my biggest client and I'm going to end up in a van down by the river and I should just eat worms and just roll everything up. And that is one of the things that we're going to have to shake as quickly as we can. I know easier said than done. And for the rest of the conversation, I'm going to assume that the client we're talking about is that client that like is so large that it makes up most of your service revenue and it's really an existential crisis for your business to replace this client a lot of times our corporate clients just given how much money that corporate clients can pay but it doesn't need to be so the first thing to do is to not take the loss personally at the same time that you improve your processes where you can let's be real when you're talking about big clients like this, it can be enough that a new leader comes in and wants to shake things up that causes you to lose your client. Or it could be that the company changes their initiatives and priorities for the year and they need to make cuts. Or it could be that client is having a deeply hard moment like we experienced in the tech winter of 2022. All of that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the client. And you can go down the line of what if you would have done this better? What if you would have done that better? What if, what if, what if? And fundamentally, nothing that you may have done would have mattered. Again, new leader, new year, new priorities. Sometimes that means I lost client. So take a step back and think about what are the factors outside of your work that it may have led to that decision, no matter what you did. And there's a second part of this, though. If you know that you were slipping, if you know that maybe you could have given better client communication or maybe you could have 
done deliverables better, or maybe you could have gotten more stakeholder buy-in. Like those are things that you can change for the next time around. So instead of taking this as a terminal thing for your business, just treat it as part of your investment in the MBA that is running your own business. Don't take it personally when it's not about you and improve your processes where appropriate. That's the first thing to do. Second, own and tell the story of your work. So let's get real. A lot of times when you have a big client, you're just in the work. That's probably what you want to do and or it's what you have the capacity to do. You probably don't have the time to be out there marketing and telling the story on social media and keeping up with your referral network and all of those types of things. And so I've worked with so many people and seen so many people who have been doing fantastic work with a blue chip client, but no one knows they're doing it. Granted, sometimes those blue chip clients don't allow you to use their wordmark and logo. I get that. But now is the time to own and tell the story of your work. You can anonymize the work that you've done so that it's not clear which company you're working on. Like you can do a lot of that, but don't let the idea or let the mindset and head trash that the client lets you go, therefore your work isn't valuable, keep you from telling and owning that story. It's part of the last however long that you've been working in this world. Own it and tell the story, and it would also help you tell more and better stories in the future. Third, reframe, I don't know how I'm going to get my next client, to I'm rusty at selling. That fear of I don't know how actually puts you in a scarcity place where the fact is you actually do know how because you've got that client and you've probably gotten other clients before. And so it's so easy for us to get target locked on the client we lost and what happened there to remember that actually you do know how you do this. And it may be that because you've had such a great gig for such a long time, maybe you've let your sales practices slip. It's not that you don't know how, it's just that you're rusty. It's like getting on a bike again. Or if you haven't done an activity in a while, say you play guitar and you haven't played in a while, it's easy to think, I can't play anymore. The reality is you're rusty. Your fingers don't work the same way. You're out of practice with it. The job is not to stay stuck in the I don't know how, but to get back to some of those no-nonsense sales practices that you're rusty at. So you probably do know how to get your next client and or you will be able to figure it out. You're just rusty. Four, pick a now relevant sales goal, then convert that into human numbers. And here's what I mean by that. We've got a big client. We're used to that covering a larger part of the year. Maybe it's a six-figure contract. Maybe it's a seven-figure contract. Maybe it's a smaller contract that's still relevant to your business. And you're trying to think, how am I going to replace that amount of money? That can be hard. What I want you to think about is how do you actually sell to a now relevant number? So maybe you don't need that six figures to be viable and to keep things going. Maybe you just need 20K. Or maybe if you lost a 50K project, you might not need to replace a 50K project. You might just need to replace a 10K project. Cool, 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 cool. So we take that number, whatever your number is, I'm not trying to say one is better than the other, whatever your now relevant number, and then we convert that into a human-based number of how many people you need to talk to or how many people you need to say yes to you to get that number. 
So instead of thinking, wow, I got to make this big number and I don't know where and I don't know how, you think, oh, I need to make this smaller, now relevant number. It keeps me in the fight, keeps me going forward. And I need to talk to three people. And I need one of those people to say yes. Feels so much more doable. And that's what you're going to have to do anyways. You're going to have to talk to a certain amount of people and a certain amount of those people are going to say yes. So break that big number that you're used to seeing for that contract down into a now relevant number that keeps you on the field and then convert that sales number into the number of people that you would need to talk to and say yes to and who would need to say yes to you. Fifth thing, and this is going to be last for the day because I see that I'm running out of time, is to find the money in your inbox. I talk to my clients about this a lot because a lot of times we get into a big client, main client, like coast mode to where we're not really paying attention to the new things coming into our inbox. Your inbox could be your actual literal inbox, like your mailbox, or it's more likely your email inbox. Could be your social media DM box, but you get what I'm saying. It's right there. Like someone has reached out to you in some way or the other that might present an opportunity. And your task is to start seeing it again. And instead of going out there in the big bad world and LinkedIn or wherever you're going to go, start with those people who already know you and who are probably already in your inbox. And even if that person doesn't have the funds or the need for your services, they might know someone. They might be their friend. It could be a colleague. It could be someone in their orbit that's right in front of you. So I just really want you to take that and pretend that you have x-ray vision and see all of those opportunities that may already be in your inbox. And guess what? Start there. Start there. Get some wins. Go back to the step four that I mentioned, right? Get that now number win and start building your way back up. I just want to end this with, regardless of whether any of these steps work for you or they're the right thing for you, you are not alone. You are not the first person that has been in this situation and you for sure won't be the last. And people who are at the top of their game lose their biggest client and people who are just getting started lose their biggest client and people in between lose their biggest client because fundamentally it's not about them. It's about market shifts. So stand tall, take care of yourself and go get your next client. That's a wrap on part one of this what to do when you lose your biggest client compilation. Make sure you're subscribed to free time so that you don't miss it when part two drops with more incredible stories from fellow heart-based business owners and former guests sharing their experiences and giving you permission slips for how to handle things your way. See you next time. If you've listened this far, you get a gold star. Thank you. Word of mouth is the most joyful way we can grow this show, and it helps us land interviews with the luminaries and insightful guests that you would most love to hear from. Please send this episode to a friend who might find it helpful. And for show notes and related links from this episode, visit itsfreetime.com. While you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the Time Well Spent newsletter. You'll get instant access to my tech toolkit a continually updated list of all the software I use, along with the total monthly spend to run my business, where no one works full-time, even me. Visit itsfreetime.com slash join. Remember, you are running the show. 
It's time for radical reimagining, and everything is up for grabs. Let it be easy, let it be fun, and build with love.